This message by Pastor Alexander Ruggieri was delivered at Faith Fellowship Church in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. For more information, please call 608-935-2655 or visit us at www.dodgevilleffc.com. Continuation from last week's message to today's message, would you please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. We will read the same scripture we read last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For though there be there are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are gods many and lords many, but to us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and our one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. However, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto the, an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food commends us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee who has knowledge, sitting at the table in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through, the knowledge, through thy knowledge shall that weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if food make my brother to offend, I will eat no meat while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. This is God's word. The title of the message was Legalism or Liberty. Now, last week we talked about how there are things in our Christian walk that are essential. Things that are matters of great importance. Things that we do not uh, deter from, things that we do not compromise on. And then there are things that are non-essential. There are things that are secondary issues that we have to, as Christians, find a way to lock arms and move forward in the Lord on those things. That covers the area of theology. There are doctrines that we must not compromise on. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that there is salvation found in no other name than in the name of Jesus, not in Mohammed, not in Buddha, not in Hinduism, not in the na name of New Age philosophy, in Christ alone and the Christ of the Scriptures. We believe that God is three, one in three, one God, three persons. However, there are doctrines that are more secondary issues. 
Things like eschatology. When is the Lord Jesus going to return? Or I should say, how is the Lord Jesus going to return? Um, the debate of the tribulation, the debate of the millennial reign. There are also secondary issues as far as the uh, relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. There are all those perspectives of Arminianism and Calvinism that Christians debate over. There are the differences between the signed gifts. You have the cessationists and the charismatics. But not just, in our text, we're looking not just so much as doctrines, but we're looking at practices. Things that we do as Christians and things that we live, things that we do in, in our Christian walk, that we live out, how we represent Christ in this world, what we participate in and what we don't participate in. And there are debates over these Issues. They're not matters of salvation. For example, there are Christians who believe that as a pastor, I brought this up last week, I should be wearing a black robe, a clerical garb of some sort in order to represent the Lord. And others who would say that I have to be more cool and wear skinny jeans with holes in them. And my days of skinny jeans with holes in them are over. I tried it. I tried to be cool. It didn't work. So sorry if anybody was expecting that. It won't happen. But... These are secondary issues, manners of worship, uh, musical instruments in worship, uh, preaching styles, or we can talk about the more controversial subjects of alcohol use, or the more controversial, controversial subjects of modesty, how short is too short, how low is too low, and those kinds of debates. But what we're trying to understand is, how do we even approach the subject? How do we even approach the conversation in a Christ-like manner? And last week, if you remember, we saw that there were two extremes. There's legalism and there's libertinism. Libertinism is when Christians take away commands that God had put in place for our good. Legalism is when Christians add commands to the body of Christ that God never intended there to be. And I use the illustration, if you're driving down the road, you got stop signs that have been put there. Well, the libertine will take away the stop signs that are intended to be there, and all chaos will ensue on the road. But the legalist will just start throwing stop signs all over the place, and you got cars who can't get anywhere because they're stopping all over the place. And so we need to avoid both extremes. We need to find out what God says on these things and move forward in them. We covered that first verse in chapter 8 that talks about how knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And when it comes to these subjects, there are biblical answers to a lot of them. And it may be the case that there is a perspective that's closer to the truth than others. For example, in the area of eschatology, I believe that there are teachings in the scriptures that are closer to a certain perspective than another perspective. But it's not a matter in which I'm going to turn my back on a fellow believer. So there are teachings in scriptures about these things. Not everything is 110% laid out, but we can follow principles of God that guide us through. So if you have gained access to the knowledge on some of these things, if you have gained scriptural insight into knowing how to handle some of these controversial subjects, then what God is saying is don't let the knowledge sit there. 
Don't let the knowledge sit there. Because if it sits there, it's going to harm you. It's going to just stay there and it'll become a source of pride and arrogance because we'll start thinking, I know the right answer. I know the right perspective. I know the biblical view on this. And it just becomes knowledge that we end up puffing. That's why Paul says knowledge puffs up because we become inflated with ourselves. We become full of ourselves because we know the right way. We know the right truth. But Paul says, love edifies. So while we shouldn't use that, we shouldn't avoid knowing the truth, we should take the truth that we know and have God apply it into our hearts and our souls so that we want to do God's will with the knowledge we've gained. So when we see a brother or sister in Christ who may not have that perspective gained, our heart desire is to build them up in the Lord and to see them reach a point of knowing the truth that can set them free. Amen? We don't want to crush our brothers and sisters in Christ with knowledge and truth. We want to build up the body of Christ with truth. We want to come alongside and underneath our brothers and sisters to help disciple them and bring them to a place of liberation in the truth. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. That was last week. What I'd like to do is continue by giving just a brief set of principles, a brief set of applications, and then we'll move on from there. But I want to give a little illustration that kind of helps weave all these things together. I've heard it before, but I'd like to develop it to kind of help how can we put this, all this, this stuff into perspective? You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to God, right? Very prevalent in our world today. It's not true. It's, it's heretical. All roads do not lead to God. Um, and some people will say, you know, if you're on a, God is on the top of a mountain and all roads lead to, to God. Well, if you think of God on top of Mount Zion, just picture in your mind, you've got Mount Zion, the, the mountain of God. And he's there. And when he saves us by grace, not of works, he puts us on the mountain. And the Christian walk is, is, is getting closer and closer to God. And in heaven, we're there in his presence. Okay. We're not working to earn salvation, but we're walking this Christian life, getting closer to the Lord. So you have God and the truth on the Mount Zion. But then you have all these other mountains that people are walking on. You see, these other mountains is what we call Heresy or, or false beliefs. These are mountains that people are on that they are maybe they're the, the Muslims or the Hindus are on the wrong mountain. We can even talk about pseudo-Christian beliefs like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonisms. They don't have the true God of the Bible. And so they're on a different mountain. But all believers who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, who have put their faith and trust in the God of the Bible, through the grace of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, are on this mountain. Amen? And so we're all on this mountain, but we may be at all different sides of the mountain, if you will. We see the Lord, we know the Lord at the peak, but our perspective might be a little bit different than the person on the other side. And we have the guidebook to show us the path that best draws us closer to the Lord. But it's possible for somebody to be on this mountain and to have an idea of the best path, but it may not be the one that God has. 
And so we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, want to come alongside and be willing to build one another up and help one another up, following God in the best way. But we need to be open to the fact that maybe we have the wrong perspective too. So that's kind of a way that we can approach this, that we want to make sure that there's grace, mercy, and openness to talking about these secondary controversial issues so that we can build up the church. Now, Paul was having a uh, debate in the church. There was a debate in Corinthian church about one particular practice that we don't deal with. I mean, how many of us are struggling to find out whether it's right to eat food sacrificed to idols? As far as I know, when, I, when, when Alicia goes shopping and we're at the store and she gets meat, I don't ask, was that sacrifice to, to Allah? Because if it is, I'm not going to touch that. We don't have to deal with that. But this was a very, 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 very relevant issue in Paul's day. We have to deal with different things. But in Paul's day, the Corinthian church was struggling to understand whether or not a, a lamb or a bull or some animal that had been used in temple sacrifices, but then the excess, the excess meat was then sold into the meat market. They were debating whether that meat was right to eat. Maybe it was tainted by demons, and so by eating it, you'll be eating demons in your life, and you'll be cursed. And others in the church were so free in Christ that they would go to the temple and partake of the feasts of the temple to that God, and saying, I'm free in Christ, meat doesn't matter, I'll just go and have a good meal. It'd be like if, you know, the, the Masons had some sort of like celebration meal in their in their lodge and we all say well we're free in Christ we'll go into the masonic lodge and we'll sit down with all the masons and have a good have a good breakfast and so there was this debate and how did they handle that what are some principles that we can take from this when we are dealing with controversial issues because to be honest we're going to have to deal with some I mentioned last week some of the stuff that we're, we're going to have to address, Lord willing, in the future. Um, in chapter 11, we're going to have to talk about men and women's roles and have to talk about the issue of transgenderism. Uh, human identity will be brought up. Paul's going to talk about what it means to be human. We'll have to talk about our own controversy of transhumanism. We also have to talk about the subject of head coverings because Paul brings it up. We'll have to talk about communion and the different views and approaches to communion because there's a lot of different perspectives on how to approach it. Then spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts, signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, all that's going to be talked about. And then uh, the church order of service will be brought up because it's addressed in chapter 14 about how a church should conduct themselves in meetings and what things should be focused on and done. So before we address any of those things, we want to have the right heart going into it, amen? We want to have the right spirit going into it, amen? We want to know whatever I learn from God's word, it is to use to build up the body of Christ. Because at the end of the day, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a body of Christ, and we want to serve the living God through Christ. That is a focus, that is a heart. And if we have that humility to want to be dependent on God to show us these things, then He'll work it out in our midst as we follow Him. So the first principle that we see how Paul handles that issue in that day is this. Some things are wrong, 
even if Christians think that they are not. Some things are wrong, even if some Christians think that they are not. It is possible for a believer to think that a certain practice is okay when the Bible says it is not. This was the case with the Corinthian church. I all brought up the uh, participating in the temple feast, but there's also a belief in the Corinthian church that it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And so you could hire a prostitute if you wanted. Back in chapter 6, Paul is telling them, do you not know your bodies are, the mem- are members of Christ? They had this belief that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And so Paul is telling them, it, it may be lawful for you to marry, but it's still, you are God's And he has bought you with a price. You can't just do whatever whatever you want. That's turning the grace of God into uh, licentiousness. And so there are things that some Christians believe are wrong, are right, but they're wrong. And we we have the church in America is particularly loose on a lot of morals when it comes to um, human sexuality. There are people who think it's okay to be together without being married, and that's just fine. Well, the Bible says that you shouldn't come together until you're married. In a committed covenant relationship through God's institution of marriage, before one comes together and becomes one flesh. But there's a lot in the church that do not think that, that it's okay as long as you're faithful to that person. That's not true. We have the controversial subject of cross-dressing. Some Christians would think that it's okay for men to dress like women and women to dress like men. It's in the progressive circles. But we need to say that that's not true. God instituted there to be a distinction between the genders based on the cultural applications. Not that everybody has to wear the same thing throughout history, but that there should be an established distinction between men and women in each culture. And that when a man overtly crosses that line to wear something that is seen as a a display of women's clothing, they're crossing the line. They're disrupting God's order and vice versa. If a woman crosses the line of the established cultural boundary and wears something that is considered in that culture to be men's clothing, they're crossing the line. That is wrong. Some things are wrong, even if Christians think that they are not. And so how do we address that? Well, first off, we need to be aware that maybe we have something in our perspective that's wrong that we think is right. I mean, there's got to be a humility in us. We have to be open to accepting that maybe we have a wrong perspective. And so if somebody comes to us and says, you know, I know that you, you, you believe it's okay to do this or go there or do this, but have you ever read this scripture verse? Have you ever considered this? And if somebody comes to us, there should be a humility to think, well, you know what? I really didn't look at that verse. I'd like to. Look, if you will, in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Paul is addressing how we should handle something when our brother or sister is in error, whether it be doctrinally or practically, or there's something going on that's not right. He says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, that is, if you see somebody who's in error, 
He says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is, you who have gained the understanding of truth in that area, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We're not God. We're not the Holy Spirit. We do it with a spirit of humility and gentleness, wanting to see them come to know the truth. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So we have to address it in, a, in a, a state of humility. I've had people come to me and tell me, Alex, what you're doing is not right. And I didn't realize it. It wasn't that I thought it was right. It's just I didn't realize it. And at first, it kind of hurt my pride. And I tried to, you know, have a little soul knee jerk. But as I thought about it, I realized, you know what, they're right. And when I changed, I was the better as a result So let us be open to that. Some things are wrong, even if Christians think that they are not. That's the libertinism. Secondly, some things are wrong. Some things are not wrong, even if Christians think that they are. Some things are not wrong, even if some Christians think that they are. So it's the opposite. It'd be the legalism issue. Some Things go on in the Christian life that believers will say that is wrong to do, but biblically it's not. And so how do we address that? Well, in Paul's day, he was dealing, as I brought up, with the food sacrifice to idols issue. There were some who believed that it was wrong, absolutely wrong, positively wrong, to eat any meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And look what Paul says there in verse 4. Therefore, Concerning the eating of things offered to idols, in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians we are, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. He's saying these idols, they're not really like powerful gods that infiltrate food. They're nothing. There's only one God. There's only one true Lord, in verse 5. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we through him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And then look, if you will, in verse 8, he continues to say, But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not are we the worse. He's saying, if you eat the meat sacrificed to idols, it's not like you're... You become your relationship with God is therefore deterred, nor if you don't eat, are you somehow special and some sort of special holy person? That's not the matter. Later in the Bible, it says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and the Holy Spirit. So there are things that some believe are wrong, but they are not. And um, in the olden days, there was... Among the the very conservative churches, they would go around saying that it was absolutely wrong for anyone to dance. That dancing was wrong. I don't know if you've ever heard that or read that in something to say dancing is wrong. Well, in that time, and especially worse in today's age, you know, there was a lot of dancing culture that was wrong. That was sensual and, and gave a bad atmosphere and witness. And so these preachers would say, well, dancing is wrong. But then you go in the book of Psalms and you read about, praise the Lord, dance unto the Lord. Or you read of David in the Old Testament when he's bringing the, the temple 
uh, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the place where it'll rest. And what is he doing? He's dancing with all of his might. So much so that he embarrasses the, the, the dear queen. And so you see that there is in the scripture a teaching that shows, well, no, dancing is not wrong. But does that mean we all go to the club and start? I won't say it. No. What it means is we honor the Lord in what we do, but we don't put a stop sign that wasn't meant to be there. I've seen some dancing in churches that I believe is a little bit chaotic, but I've seen dancing in churches where some of these messianic Jews get up there and they start praising Yeshua Messiah and they have these choreographed dances that they partake in. That is honoring to God. So I'm thinking about maybe possibly this church could... uh, Start a Messianic Jew dance choreographed group. Moving on. Another issue that is very controversial in our day is something like there are churches that believe that women should not wear pants. Now, I believe in a, a, a marriage relationship. The man should wear the pants in the relationship, but it does not say in the Bible that women cannot wear trousers. And someone might say, well, pants are meant to be a strictly ma- you know, male article of clothing. Where did that come along? In the Bible, men wore robes and tunics. They looked more like dresses than pants. So we could say in Bible times, men wore things that looked like dresses. But so did women. But there were distinctions, you see. There were distinctions. And so we have to address these things that some things Christians think that they're wrong. Now, obviously, there's a way that a woman can wear a pair of pants that obviously look like they're meant to be men's pants. And that's not right. But there are women's style pants and 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 whatnot. And there are female style pants that you'll see guys start to wear. And the poor guys, I feel bad for them. But some reason they're okay doing that. And that's not right at all. We want to keep the gender distinctions, but we also don't want to impose unbiblical standards. Does that make sense? I hope so. Some things are not wrong, but become become wrong for certain reasons. Third principle. And this is where it gets interesting. While it may be the case that some things are wrong even if Christians think that they are not. And while it might be the case that some things are not wrong even if Christians think that they are, that they are, some things are not wrong but become wrong for certain reasons. That is, the thing itself is not wrong, but it becomes wrong because of how it's used. Reason number one that happens is when a person is convinced For them, it is wrong. When a person is convinced for them that it is wrong, this is when somebody in their conscience, because they have not been illuminated to the truth, or God has not showed them, that for them, it is wrong for them to partake. And if they were to partake, they'd be sinning against God. The Bible calls that somebody with a weak conscience, that is somebody who has not reached the knowledge of freedom yet, but is still bound by that conscience to obey the Lord and what they know to be true. 
We see this here in our text in verse 7. Paul is talking about the believers who believed that eating food sacrificed to idols was wrong. He said, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so you had believers who believed it was wrong to do it, and they saw other believers who were doing it because they were free in Christ, and so they thought to themselves, well, if he's doing it, I must be able to do it, and so I guess I'll eat the food sacrificed to idols, even though I believe it's wrong. And when they do it, they're sinning against God. Because their conscience is telling them they're doing something wrong, and so their faith is being disrupted in God, and so they're, they're, it's disturbing their relationship with Almighty God. Paul talks about this in detail in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, he says that the law of love says that if there is a brother grieved because of you eating food sacrificed to idol, you're no longer walking in love when you do it. You're no longer walking in love. Because the person is condemned when he doubts in verse 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you believe wholeheartedly that it's wrong for you as a woman to wear pants, don't wear pants. Obey the Lord in that thing. I give an example. Back in the day, I enjoyed going to a store called Guitar Center. And Guitar Center is a place where they've got a bunch of guitars and they've got an electric section and an acoustic and a drum section and a keyboard section and a sound system section. And I went there never to buy anything. Maybe a guitar pick. I went there to go in to the back room of the acoustic section and pick up one of this $1,500 piece of wood and sit down and just start playing. And then I'd go over to the electric section and get a chord and start jamming out over there. And I'd go to the drum section and start playing the drums over there. And, and then I'd leave it and I'd spent like three hours of my day just going throughout. And I left that guitar center and it became as clear as day. God said to me, I don't want you to go back there. I don't want you to go back there. Now, if I had next week turned around and gone back to Guitar Center, I would be doing something wrong. But is it wrong to go shop at Guitar Center? No. It's because I wanted to walk with the Lord and the Lord knew that I had a weakness in wasting time playing with things that I'm never going to have. And so for me, it was wrong. And so your relationship with God, brothers and sisters, has to be very, very, very clear on these things. That you pray and you say, God, you know what? I'm not sure about this issue. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to honor you in how I represent my clothing? How do you want me to honor you in how I participate in church? How do you want me to honor you and where I go on a Friday night. And when you walk with the Lord and you have that Holy Spirit guidance inside of you and you're in tune to it and not, not distracted by all the things of this world, but you're open and listening to God speak in your heart, He'll direct your paths. And He'll show you how to walk as is best suited for you. So the first reason something becomes wrong is when a person is convinced that the thing in question is 
wrong. But secondly, is when the thing in question is done in a context that is directly associated with sin. That's a little complicated. I'll say it again. Something becomes wrong when it is done in a context that is directly associated with sin. For example, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is saying, while you may be free to eat food sacrificed to idols, you're not free to go into the temple of the idol, sit down with the people worshiping the idol, and eat the food sacrificed to idols with them. And verse 19, what am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? No. Rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but not all, th all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So while there are things that are right to do, depending on where they're done, it might become wrong. This becomes very relevant. I'll just give an example that maybe I'm wrong on, and I'm open to discussion. But for me, I believe that it's wrong to gamble. I believe that there's scripture that can point to the fact that to, to be actively involved in gambling would be a sin. I might be wrong about it, but I'm convinced in my mind. And so while it may be free for me to step inside of a casino, go to the restaurant and sit down and order a burger, I believe that I probably would avoid going to the casino in the first place. Yes, I portray advocating something that I believe is wrong. Does that principle make sense? That what you do with what you know also can change. For the person who is wholeheartedly convinced that alcohol in any way is sin, they may never step into a place that serves alcohol. For the person who is free to drink, they believe in their conscience, whether or not it's right. They might go into a place that serves alcohol. But what happens if you're with a brother or sister in Christ who believes it's wrong? And you say, hey, let's go down to the, to the local alley bar and order a burger. What you're doing is you're causing that person to stumble because you're leading them to fall into something that they're convinced is wrong, even if the thing itself is wrong. It's association. It's how we are, how we are participating. I brought up the example of how, how we participate with local groups that are anti-biblical and anti-Christian, like the Masonic Temple and the... And the um, there was a conversation I had recently with the topic of horoscopes and things like that. While it may be free to look at the stars, what do we do with that? How do we associate with it? There's a whole debate of whether Christians should even participate in horoscopes. I don't believe we should. So the thing in question becomes wrong depending on the context that it's in. Now let's wrap this up, brothers and sisters, with a couple of applications here. What do we do with all this? Some things are wrong even if Christians think that they are not. Some things are not wrong even if Christians think that they are. Some things are not wrong but become wrong for certain reasons. First, let's worry about ourselves 
first. Let's worry about ourselves first. When it comes to these secondary controversial issues, let us seek the Lord in our own relationship to see whether what we are doing is honoring to Him. Because ultimately, we each have to give an account to God. Ultimately, we all stand or fall before the living God. Secondly, be willing to hear the side of the perspective on the other side of the mountain. If you are convinced about a particular thing, that you believe this is wrong or that is wrong, have you heard the other side? Have you at least listened as to why that person does what they does or do or believe, believes what they believe? Have you been willing to take that and compare it to Scripture? Have you been willing to sit down and have a conversation about that particular subject? This is true both with secondary issues of doctrine, but even practices. Somebody believes that it is biblically not right at all to touch alcohol. Other believes it is. Have we sat down and had a conversation? Somebody believes it is biblically absolutely wrong to listen to music that represents hard death metal. And others believe maybe it's okay if there's a Christian version of it. Have we sat down to have that conversation? Some believe that it is wrong to have a, uh, to, like I mentioned earlier, for certain articles of clothing. Others believe they're more free in those articles of clothing. Have we asked them why they are led to that belief? It may not change our mind, but it at least gives us the ability to search the scriptures and see maybe we never heard that side. Maybe we need to consider that point. Maybe we need to change our own perspective. Or maybe we need to ground ourselves even deeper in the truth. Thirdly, if we are convinced that what a person is doing is wrong, try to convince rather than condemn. Approach that person with a heart of wanting to see them grow. Like I mentioned earlier, love edifies. Have a spirit of wanting to bring them along in the path that God has laid out in that area. Open up the scriptures, say, this isn't just me hammering down something, this is what the Bible says. And fourthly, do what best promotes the well-being of the other. Do what it takes to ensure that they are being exposed to truth and drawing closer to God. And somebody comes to me, and even though it may be harsh, even though it may rub me wrong, if it's right, they're doing it for my benefit. We want to see others grow in the Lord. So moving forward, brothers and sisters, when we talk about these controversial things, let us remember the motivation and the heart behind it. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. October 1st is the date. I read a devotional that goes through every day of the year and what happens in history, in Christian history on that day. Well, October 1st, hundreds of years ago, during the time of the Reformation, there were two prominent leaders of the Reformation who met on October 1st. A famous politician, wealthy, invited them to his castle 
And they met in a banquet hall with a long table there, and they sat down at the banquet table across from each other. One of them was Ulrich Zwingli. I might be pronouncing his name wrong. He was the leader of the Reformation in Switzerland. The other man was Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation in Germany. They both were united in promoting the truth that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. And they were leading the church into that truth out of heresy. But they had a point of contention. And they sat down on the table and Martin Luther wrote on a piece of cloth in chalk, This is my body. And the two men spent three days discussing communion and how it should be partake, partaken and how it should be handled. There were 15 subjects that they were trying to come to grips on between the two groups of the reformers. They came together on 14 of them. The one that they did not come together on was ironically the one that should bring believers together the most. And they differ to this day on communion. One of them stood his ground and turned his back, saying, I won't help you in your mission. The other, with tears, pleaded that the other would change, and he didn't. And he ended up leading the, this was Zwingli ended up leading a charge in Switzerland and lost the battle to the Catholics, lost his life. It may not have if the Germans had been there to help him. Brothers and sisters, we need to be able to hold fast to what is true and right, but be willing to see the goal in front of us of serving the Lord Jesus Christ and to be willing to have a spirit of humility and a spirit of love to lock arms in the name of Christ and move forward so that we do not burn each other at the stake, which the Protestants did. So as we come to this table, let us remember that Jesus gave his body for the church, that Jesus shed his blood for the church, that we may have life in him and that we may serve the living God together. Amen. Gracious Lord in heaven, I pray that you would please help us to know your will. Help us to follow you and help us to serve you. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that we have life. And we now acknowledge that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to be able to handle these secondary things for the purpose of serving you and building the kingdom of God. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.